At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Hello again, everybody. Harry Doyle here, welcoming all you friends of the feather to another season of Indians baseball. A lot of new faces in Chief Wahoo's tribe this year as they take on the defending American League champs, the New York Yankees. And hopefully, we'll have some of the names that go with those faces before their first at bat. Anyway, listen to the roar of the crowd as the Indians take the field. Yes, sir, they love this club here in Cleveland. Anytime I see the movie Major League, I'm constantly reminded of how similar the cities of Pittsburgh and Cleveland really are. And how similar the old Indians portrayed in the film are to today's Pirates in real life. But hey, it's opening day at PNC Park and hope springs eternal. If by eternal you mean between now and Memorial Day. For the Pirates though, that'll probably just feel like an eternity. It usually does baseball-wise here in Pittsburgh. I am Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. The Pirates slight underdogs at home today against the Cubs at PNC Park for the home opener. Pirates lost 2-3 in St. Louis before weather washed out Monday's game. The Cubs won 2-3 against the Brewers at home. It's Jose Quintana against Drew Smiley. The Buccos plus 110 against the Cubs, who are favored at minus 129. Ah, sure, take the Buccos. Why not? It's opening day. How often are you going to feel like they've got a chance? I'm sticking with hockey, though, and leaving the home opener alone. I got a four-team parlay. I'm going with the Flames against 
Seattle, the Caps over the Flyers, the Maple Leafs over the Sabres, and the Panthers to beat Anaheim. It pays out at plus 175. All that on the money line straight up. The Pens play tonight, too, against the Islanders. I wouldn't touch that game. The teams haven't seen each other since November when Jari shut them out one nothing. But the Pens still aren't playing great despite the win over the Preds on Sunday. Losers of 7 of 10. The Isles have won 5 of 7 despite a clunker to end a long road trip in St. Louis on the back end of back-to-back games. If anything, I'd lean Islanders here at plus 106 at home. I also like the under at nearly even minus money, minus 112, and the under is at under 5.5. So if you do play it, go Islanders at plus 106, the under at minus 112 for a 5.5 goal line. Speaking of the Penguins, Evgeny Malkin is suspended for four games. That could lead to a little bit more experimentation from Mike Sullivan and the Pens when it comes to line combinations, especially in the wake of what happened Sunday against Nashville. During Sunday's 3-2 win over the Predators, Penguins captain Sidney Crosby and recently acquired Ricard Raquel were only on the ice together for two minutes and seven seconds, but they sure made the most of that time together. All three of the Penguins' goals were scored with those two forwards on the ice. The first occurred when defenseman Chris Letang and Raquel set up Crosby less than five minutes into the game. Later on, both skaters assisted on Jason Zucker's goal in the third period. Then in overtime, Raquel thought better of a shot and decided to make a slap pass over to Crosby for what turned out to be the game winner in OT. Perhaps with the exception of the extended three-on-three shift the two shared in overtime, the 207 Crosby and Raquel racked up together largely wasn't planned. According to Natural Stat Trick, Crosby still spent the bulk of his time with Brian Rust and Jake Gensel. Those two guys, Rust 12 minutes, 22 seconds, Gensel 17 on Sid's wings. Raquel was normally with his usual partners, Malkin for 12.46 and Zucker for 13.49 as well. And keep in mind that would have been even longer if Malkin wasn't in the penalty box for four minutes. As Penn's Radio Network host Brian Metzer, our guest a little bit later on here on the CityCast, pointed out on the postgame show after the Penguins' victory, Crosby was the last player off his line to change quite often as Malkin's line was coming on or the first over the boards when it was coming off, which bought a little extra time for Sid with Raquel. Regardless of whether it was intentional or just a happy accident, it worked, and now Head coach Mike Sullivan has some thinking to do regarding whether or not he ought to try Raquel and Crosby together by design or keep the former Ducks winger with Malkin and Zucker. Well, it's certainly an option. You know, that's that's for sure. And, and uh, you know, obviously they connected on a couple of important goals tonight. I thought Brack made two great plays to Sid when Sid finished on them. Uh, just great vision, great awareness, knowing where he is and, and getting him the puck. Um, you know, I, I do think that that potentially could be an option for us moving forward. It's a discussion that we've already had on, on what, what our top six is going to look like and, and who's going to play with whom. But, but you know, one of the reasons uh, Hexy went out and got racked for us was we felt like he was a guy that could play with either Sid or Gino. And, and it just gives us, it gives us that much more versatility. So depending on how it plays out, you know, we know Rusty can play with, with Gino and uh, Rusty and Gino have good chemistry. 
you saw the glimpses of I think Rack's game, not not just tonight. You, you see his vision and his playmaking ability, and so we know he can score goals. Um, certainly, I, I thought uh, he makes two great plays. Would would sit on those goals. It, it just I think provides evidence that that potentially moving forward, that's an option for us. Whether we go there or not, it, you know, time will tell. But uh, certainly, it is something that we have discussed. There will be plenty of time over the next four games for experimentation or at the very least to buy a few extra shifts for Crosby and Zucker and Raquel. The franchise found out, of course, that Malkin will be suspended for both of those home and home sets against the Islanders and the Boston Bruins over the next nine days for cross-checking a Nashville player in the face on Sunday. With suspensions and illness and injury constantly impacting the Penguins' lineup of late, Crosby is appreciative of Raquel's flexibility when it comes to bouncing around on either side, left wing or right wing, and bouncing between various line combinations. It's not easy, you know, jumping on a new team, and I think, you know, he's, uh, he's done a great job of uh, just playing his game and uh, adjusting quickly. I think he's, he's a guy that's got a ton of skill. He sees the ice well, and as far as chemistry goes, I mean, you know, I just I tried to get in, in the holes there, and, you know, he put her in my tape on both of them. So um, I think those are those are all him just making great plays, heads-up plays, and seeing the ice well. And I just I just try to capitalize. For his part, after the game, Raquel insisted wherever the team wants to play him, he'll be ready. I think I'm uh, learning for for every game, um, and it's something I'm just gonna try to do here moving forward, and just trying to get better and try to use my abilities on the ice and uh, do whatever I can to, to help the team. With eight points in 11 games, Raquel is off to a decent start in that context as this seemingly endless regular season plods towards Easter weekend. Crosby at plus 188 to score tonight. He's had a goal in four of his last seven. He owns the Islanders like no other team he's faced in his career, a career-high 123 points, even though Philly is the team that he's scored the most against with 50 goals. Raquel, plus 285, that might be good value, but it's always good value to take some of the Islanders against the Pens. For instance, Brock Nelson, just plus 125. That's because those that set the lines, they know. He scores against the Penguins almost every time he plays them, a career-best 14 goals against the Pens. Anders Lee, Nine career goals against the Pens. He's at plus 185. Kyle Palmieri, Josh Bailey, plus 310 for Kyle Palmieri. 11 goals against Pittsburgh. Only Philly does he have more against with 12. Bailey is at plus 430. He's got 12 goals against the Pens. Maybe I'd go with him. Tied for second best in his career behind only the Blue Jackets with 13. But that's smart money on any of those guys to score against Pittsburgh. That face-off is at 7.30 tonight. All right, when we come back, we talk Pens and Islanders, Pens in general, with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Might mix in some Steelers and some more opening day conversation as well before we're done here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. 
Okay, back at the Pittsburgh CityCast, looking at the futures odds for the Steelers, plus 3,500 to win the AFC. I saw my buddy Sal Capaccio from Buffalo tweet out a screenshot of something he did on the NFL Network, the uh, morning show there, did a snake draft. The four hosts kind of went back and forth, picking the 16 teams, kind of like you would do in fantasy football. They did a snake draft of who would win the AFC, and the only teams that were taken after the Steelers were the Jags, Texans, and Jets. And that's consistent with the odds boards that we've got up at Bet Rivers right now with the Steelers, like I said, at plus 3,500, then the Jags at plus 5,000, the Texans at plus 8,000 along with the Jets. Um, Sal was saying he was surprised to see that, and I'm not necessarily. Like, for instance, there are a couple teams that I thought were taken too high, like the Browns, because we don't know what's going on with Watson. Uh, I'm not as sold as the Titans, or I'm not as sold on the Titans this year as I was a year ago because of their quarterback situation, what we saw at the end of last year. The Colts I'm not as high on uh, because Carson Wentz didn't work out, and now they've got... Matt Ryan. So, like, there are some other teams. Maybe I put the Dolphins behind the Steelers, even though they got more weapons for Tua. Um, I think there are some other teams that could have been taken after them, but I'm not necessarily shocked that the Steelers were kind of on the fourth or maybe in the middle of the third rung when it came to that snake draft because uh, there's just no reason to think that with uh, some of the losses that they've had and the issues that they're facing still at quarterback and failure to address safety and failure so far to address defensive lines, subtractions that we've seen at wide receiver. Yep, maybe they're a little bit better along the interior of the O-line and perhaps a mild upgrade with Jack instead of Schobert, an inside linebacker. But there's just not a lot of reason in my estimation to think that they're going to be much better than 9-8 and eight, and maybe they're fortunate to get to 9-7-1 in the first place last year. Uh, even if Trubisky does somehow become a mild upgrade to Ben Roethlisberger, and even if he is, statistically, he's going to win as many close games as Roethlisberger did at the end of last season with those fourth-quarter comebacks. I'm very skeptical, so uh, I wasn't like Sal. I wasn't put off by what I saw from that experiment on the NFL Network. All right, back to the Penguins. Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network joins us once a week to talk Penns hockey. We dive into... The line combinations and the results from the Predators and Penguins. That was on Sunday. Now the Pens get set to play the Islanders for two games. Keep in mind this interview was taped up before we found out about Evgeny Malkin's suspension last night, but largely a lot of the dialogue that Mets and I had sort of assumed he'd get a couple games, so we were on it as it was anyway. Maybe a little surprised it went up to four games. I thought it would be only two or three, but... Regardless, Mets and I tackle that issue as well here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. I was listening to Mets quite a bit during the postgame show after the Penguins win against the Nashville Predators on Sunday afternoon at PPG Paints Arena after I got back from Boston to see the Frozen Four. What a crowd, Mets, at the Frozen Four in Boston. I mean, it was packed at TD Garden. Definitely... When you get bigger schools in there with bigger traditions and from you know bigger hockey um, alumni bases, you can fill up the big buildings. I know it's been a struggle the two times that Pittsburgh's had it, but they haven't exactly gotten the big dogs in there qualified. They've gotten some smaller schools and smaller fan bases. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Tim. I think they've had powerhouse type schools that are always you know perennially perennially good. 
but not these really big name teams. And had Pittsburgh been able to get, uh, what did you just see? Denver and Minnesota State, and Michigan was there. I mean, Michigan alone. And Minnesota. All, yeah, Minnesota. All those first round draft picks that were were suiting up for Minnesota that essentially all just signed contracts over the weekend whenever they got eliminated uh, ahead of the final. Those guys alone bring in a lot of fanfare. And I think. And Michigan, you know, too, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. All that, that team had all those people. Ken Hughes just, or not Ken Hughes, that's Chris Letang's agent. Ken Johnson, he, he, Ken Johnson signed uh, with, he signed his entry-level contract. We saw Owen Power sign his entry-level contract. We ended up seeing uh, Berniers, yeah, Quinn, but Berniers signed with Seattle. So essentially they had those five players going into Michigan this year in hopes of winning a championship, came up short, and yet they all get to chase their NHL dream. So to your point, all of that uh, star power with all the big name schools, I could see that being a jam packed place. And I, I'm glad you got to take it all in. It sounds like it was a really fun atmosphere. Albeit, you know, maybe not for your, your uh, betting success. You said you weren't so successful. Yeah. I should have, like I had a hunch that it was so jam packed, you know, as far as anybody could win it, why not just take Denver plus 400, which is what it was at the start of the frozen four. And then I went into the final and I took the under and that, Felt like a really smart pick. In fact, it was until it wasn't. And it ended up being <laughs> two empty net goals that killed me because it was 5-1 and the under was 5.5. So it made perfect sense until that second empty net goal went in. So I was a little mad at myself there. And I just, I hate betting unders. And then you take another team. Like, if you're going to yeah. bet an under, just bet an under because you get that push-pull the whole game of, you're rooting for your team, but you're also not rooting for too many points or too many goals. And that could be applicable to any sport. So I just left it alone with Denver, even though I thought they were going to win. And I didn't necessarily go into the weekend thinking Denver was going to win the whole thing, but the odds being what they were at plus 400, that was, that was clearly the smartest bet. Yeah. And, uh, you you make the point about the empty net goals, Tim. To me, every hockey game this year has had this air of, and it doesn't matter if it's college or pro, this air of it could just go sideways in terms of over-under. And it started with the first Penguins game of the season when we saw John Cooper pull his goaltender with something like six exactly. and a half minutes left. And we saw, what, three empty netters in that game. And we've seen that throughout the course of this season where teams have pulled the goalie early had empty net goals going in in, in big time quantities where it's not just one per game you're getting two and three per game we saw two scored the other day by washington against the penguins which skewed the over under in that game so um it's a very dangerous bet anymore and i think i it's it's a good thing to not tie it to a team so that if you do lose your over under maybe you still have a chance to win your bet my gosh Matt, you mentioned that game to open the season against the lightning that feels like it happened five years ago I concur. Uh, this this weekend, more than any other, has just had me feeling as if this whole this whole thing has been just such a grind. And I don't know why I was just feeling it down to the to my core that wow, everything we've gone through the failed Olympic hiatus that wasn't. We ended up having February filled in with games. Uh, COVID postponements still were very prevalent in the first half of the season. We had people in and around us getting sick. We had. Uh, other kinds of sicknesses going around with everybody dealing with stomach bugs now. It just seems like a story of three different seasons in one, the way that this all went. So I, I completely agree. It seems like October 12th was probably more like October 12th, 1999 at this point, based on where we are today. Well, at least we're in the new building as opposed to 1999. 
and there would have been something to be said for being in the old building. Uh, you know, there there was some some personality and fun, and of course, our good buddy Vinny Kar- Karputska could still play good metal songs. He's not always allowed to do that in the new building. Brian Metzer, the Penguins Radio Network. You know, I think the reason why Metz is, you know, normally this would be the weekend where the regular season ends and the playoffs start. It's usually right around the 12th of April, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a lot of years, sometimes we're already done, too, and looking at the first week of the playoffs because there's been years in the past where the Penguins have only played maybe two or three games in the month of April, and this time around they are jam-packed with a fully – yeah, uh, just jam-packed schedule with now we're at the 12th already or going to be at the 13th, uh, 12th, 13th when they play their next couple of games because they got the Islanders back-to-back here on Tuesday and Thursday. They still have eight games remaining, and that would not have been the case at the midpoint of April, and they're going to fill this whole month with games. Normally, you're well into your playoff run of maybe almost two full rounds by the end of April, early May, and, that, and this year you're just going to be getting underway at that first week of May. And what a weird week to make that point even more clear we're recording here on monday in advance of just one game who is it winnipeg and montreal <laughs> right isn't that the game tonight i think you're right i'm bringing that up right now Yeah, winnipeg um, at montreal yeah. and then on tuesday when most people will be hearing this podcast like the whole league is playing and everybody's on the ice only four games on wednesday and then thursday is completely jam-packed two games on friday saturday is completely jam-packed and then on easter it's 50 50 yeah, uh, it's been that kind of thing all year. I know you and I talked before we started recording here that with the new TV deal, I feel like there's been a lot more of those weird nights with one or two games. And yeah, in the old situation, we had rivalry Wednesday and all of this where there'd only be like an early game and a late game. So every Wednesday was essentially just a two game night. But just the rest of the, pretty much the rest of the week would be filled with a handful of games every different night of the week. Maybe Monday wouldn't. That was another light night. Now you have two to three to four nights a week, depending on the week in which there's one or two games, and then they absolutely jam-pack the other nights. So I don't know if that is a TV thing or what the case may be, but it's a, it's been a certainly uh, a very weird-looking schedule this season and a very long one because, as we just said, it's going to the end of April. Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Um, we're also speaking, Mets, in advance of Evgeny Malkin's suspension, likely suspension, at least the way I view it. Uh, we'll see how that gets hammered out and adjudicated by the National Hockey League. But on the TV side, speaking specifically about that, uh, they weren't shy about trying to have Geno sit out for like the rest of the season and into the playoffs. I think Weeks had it at 10 games, which is better than the first two games of the playoff series. Uh, there's absolutely zero chance of that happening. I mean, I think we, we, we're not even hearing about it being an in-person hearing, so... Uh, if, if they were going to go long term, he would be having an in-person hearing. All we've been told is that he's having a hearing on Monday night. And by the time people listen to this, of course, they will know the outcome. Uh, I I think that it's bad. It's not a good look for Gino. He loses his cool like he has been known to do many times over the years. And I wish that his gloves had maybe just made contact instead of that piece of stick that was between those two gloves. Because it might not be as bad if it was just a double-fisted punch compared to that piece of... Uh, uh, composite going into the mouth of Borvieski. But uh, I, I think the league, knowing how they go about things, knowing how this is a star player being involved, they will look at the fact that Borvieski engaged him to kind of start it. And I know a lot of these people who were crowing yesterday on Sunday didn't even mention that aspect that Borvieski kind of goes into Gino, gets his leg into him a little bit, impedes his progress from skating away 
when time was expiring in that period, it was an unnecessary play and Gino very unnecessarily loses his cool. So I'm not, I'm not exonerating him. I'm just saying it probably doesn't happen if he just lets him skate past without engaging him to begin with, which is something Borowiecki has done to the Penguins going all the way back to his days as a member of the Ottawa Senators. So I, I think that it's an ugly, it's an ugly mark in the game on Sunday uh, I wish Gino could have avoided that situation. It also comes on the heels of a big hit on Chris Letang that some found clean, some found dirty. There was a fight that came out of it when Gino blew Chris Letang up way at the other end of the ice after a breakout pass. And I think tensions were a little bit high in that game against two teams that had met just a, a handful of years earlier in a Stanley Cup final. Well, whatever Gino gets, this podcast will likely post, or I know it will post, before Mike Sullivan speaks about it again. Yeah. So what do you think the Penguins should do, whether it's one game or 10 or whatever in between? What should they do without Gino out there? Well, you know what's going to happen, Tim, uh, and I, I think it goes without saying. Gino's going to exit the lineup. They are going to put Jeff Carter at number two center, Teddy Bluger at number three center. Brock McGinn's going to return to the lineup probably as soon as the next game here on Tuesday night. And lo and behold, the Penguins are going to look wonderful. And <laughs> and everybody is going to say, see, we don't need Evgeny Malkin. Let him go in the offseason and uh, all, all of these kinds of things because he has been the most polarizing guy, not named Chris Letang, I think, in this entire hockey season because from the moment he returned against the Anaheim Ducks uh, way, you know, a handful of months ago, uh, that's all we've heard is how he's disrupted what the Penguins were doing structurally. He plays uh, by, you know, dances to his own drummer, doesn't do what Mike Sullivan wants even though he's essentially a point-of-game guy and has been very dangerous-looking in many of the games that he played. This situation also coming on the heels of a bad turnover uh, in which he threw a blind pass that went Tom Wilson's direction on Saturday that went down as the game-winning goal when he went end-to-end and scored on Tristan Jari. So I I think that's how it's going to go. You'll see them slot Carter in on the second line, probably keep the line mates for those top two lines looking pretty much exactly how they have been. It's just a matter of if Gino doesn't miss time or, or very little time, I think you might see Brian Rust flip down and play with the second line and have Raquel go up and play with Sid based on the, uh, the chemistry and success that they just had. Uh, and this is not the first time we saw it as far back as the Minnesota game a week and a half ago or so. So I think that'll happen. And I do think Bluger will get McGinn and somebody on his line, maybe Tasberry Kapanen or Erod. And then the fourth line will be uh, made up of a variety of players uh, with, with Brian Boyle probably playing with Zahorna getting back in there to fill the open slot and maybe a, uh, a Danton Heinen or something. So they're going to be Connor, huh? No, you know what? And I forgot about this a little bit is that because I, I talked about this with Paul Steigerwald yesterday and I said, what did this kid do to kind of agitate everybody? And I know he had an injury earlier in the season, but I thought they cleared him from it and he had been skating. He had that collapsed lung issue. And maybe his breathing is just not up to snuff yet for where it needs to be to play in the NHL. Um, we were planning to catch up with Nick Hart, the play-by-play voice of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Pens, one of these days to see what's going on with Drew O'Connor. But I, I just wonder if there's some concern with that injury not being 100%, even though it's weeks ago now that they cleared him of that. So that, that's the only thing. I forgot the, the magnitude of what he was dealing with in terms of that collapsed lung. To the point about what they do up top with Crosby maybe playing with Raquel. I thought you made a good point on the post-game show, which was for as much attention as this is going to get, because those two hooked up and were on the ice together for all three goals, 
it wasn't necessarily a plan for that to be the, pl- the the case. Like, for instance, you pointed out that Sid was the last guy off the ice on his change every time. And, like, he was staying out there a bit longer, and it just so happened that it turned into offensive chances, and there he was on the ice with Raquel. So I think people need to take that into account. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I was looking at, uh, you know, you can look at that play-by-play sheet in the uh... – uh, in the NHL media site where they have all the game sheets for us to look at. And, um, but all three goals. Now the overtime one was the only one that may have been by design, uh, because you know, there wasn't right. truly yeah. a line change there, the way to set that one up. But the first two times it was, you know, Gino's line coming off and, and Sid's line coming on or vice versa. So it was always in the crossover. So somebody stayed long to your point. Uh, that you were just saying that I referenced yesterday. And what happened was Sid just gets lucky enough to be out there. Because the first time it was, um, I I think it wasn't the full trio of Zucker and Raquel. It was still Jake out there. And then the next time Sid was on the ice with Zucker and Raquel after uh, the way a line change had shook out again. So I, I just think that, yes, you love the success that they're having in those offensive moments. I like the fact that Raquel has that defensive conscience when he's on the Geno line, even because he's such a good two-way player that for all the offensive success with Sid, I think it's almost more beneficial to have him out there with Geno because if you're going to be complaining about the way he is focused so intensively on offense, it, it behooves you to have a guy who can help clean up after that a little bit. Now, all that said, Sullivan post game on Sunday said, well, it's something we'll consider now based on the fact that Sid and, and Raquel have had some success. But they did the same thing in that Minnesota game uh, that the Penguins won 4-3 in OT. They had a nice scoring play on a two-on-one. Sid made a pass across to him, and he did the nice job of roofing the uh, the one-time tap-in rather than just putting it on the goalie's pad. He gets the puck up and in, and you could almost see in that moment that Sid kind of gave a, uh, a knowing glance like, hey, I like, the, I like the fact that this guy can finish. Now, that goes a long way too, Tim. If Sid wants to play with the guy, I think that they will give it a look. And they clearly enjoyed their time together. But it wasn't necessarily by design Sunday. I think there's a chance of it being by design moving forward based on what Sullivan has has said. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens when they take the ice against the Islanders. All things might be rendered moot, though, if Gino's not in because he may choose to keep Raquel with a second-line situation if Jeff Carter does indeed get elevated. If they do put him with Gensel and Sid, does he go to the left side since he's always been, well, not always, but we heard so much about him being a righty who prefers the left and then Gensel yeah. goes to the right, or what do they do? I think he'll just go right to the right wing um, and, and play. I mean, he is the right-handed shot. He's capable of playing on that side. Uh, in most of these situations in which he scored with Sid, he has been on the right side. It just so happened that's where he was. And I think that they'll keep Jake Gensel you know, situated on the left wing of Sidney Crosby. And if Raquel is elevated, he'd be on the left or on the right wing. Um, and I think he looks comfortable in that situation. So I don't know that they would upset everything in terms of shifting Jake Gensel over. Now, maybe um, he does a complete switcheroo here just to get things going because Jake hasn't necessarily been the hottest player himself as of late. He's kind of cooled a little bit over his last 10 games or so, and they'd like to see him. Uh, get going here but I think the best elixir for that is still to just keep him in his comfortable spot on the left wing of Sidney Crosby what's your opinion of the goaltending lately um I think it's a mishmash of a couple bad goals going in 
mental mistakes happening uh, that weren't always there. But when those mental mistakes happen now, it turns into sometimes a bad goal against because Jari was so capable of bailing them out early in the season. I don't think he's bailing them out with the um, same vigor that he was earlier in the year. He is now looking a little bit more human. And I know that you talked with Mark Madden about this same topic. And, and I'm going to say what Mark did, too, because I, I did see his commentary. I think Jari has been overused this year. He's in the um, – he's essentially one of the top three or four most used goaltenders in terms of games played this season. And I don't know that he's ever done that at this level. So that's certainly taking a toll on him. Now, on the other end of it, Casey DeSmith was really darn good against Nashville on Sunday. And for me – I don't know that I'd go to the extreme just because I know how Mike Sullivan is and I don't think he'll do this. I don't know that they, they will rotate them the rest of the way in terms of going every other game or something like that. But I would anticipate Casey DeSmith to play a little bit more than he did uh, up to this point. Uh, we had an interesting stat that uh, Staggy shared on the post game yesterday, Tim, and, and you may have caught it. DeSmith is in terms of game, his total games this year, which is just his appearances are, I think, 22, and that's times in relief and starts. He had that last year in the short season. So he, he's not even – it's it's unbelievable to think he played so much more often last season in, in a year in which we thought Tristan Jari was playing so well that this year when he is playing well, um, you know, you've not really spelled him at all, probably for that reason because he has been so good. But I think that they could have done themselves a lot of favors – by letting Casey DeSmith get in a little bit more often. Now, he wasn't good earlier this year either, and he's kind of rounded into form. So maybe his showing uh, in getting the last couple of wins here for the Penguins, uh, picking up the big one against Minnesota was a hard-fought victory. And then, of course, this Nashville game on Sunday, maybe that buys him a little bit more goodwill down the stretch in terms of playing a little bit more often because that's going to help Tristan Jari recharge and reset to be ready for the playoff run. Mets, what do we make of the Islanders? It's been so long since we've seen them, and we're only going to see them twice back-to-back here before the playoffs, and they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? For a couple of days there, it was kind of scaring the NHL because it looked like they could potentially make a little bit of a run. I want to say it was as, as soon as last week at this time. People were saying that, hey, the Islanders might be able to get themselves into this conversation because they had games – looming against the Dallas Stars, in which they ended up losing. Had they been able to win that one last week, that would have helped. They beat Carolina, but then they fell to St. Louis. If they had won those two games, I think they would still maybe be nipping at the heels of doing something behind the uh, Washington Capitals. But when you turn on the fact that the Caps have just been so darn good in their last 16, 17 games, uh, I think they've only lost four of those. That has really gone a long way towards putting the Islanders in the rear view. Now, that said... They are still Penguins kryptonite. And what's bad news is that the Penguins are still trying to solidify themselves in their playoff positioning here. I don't I don't know that they're going to fall behind the Washington Capitals, but it's not out of the question. The Caps at 90 points and the uh, Pens at 94 now. So they, they still are not locked into the top three. But the Islanders still six and four in their last 10. Still so good defensively. They've scored a little bit more in recent history than they had in the past. I think this is a team that is going to give the Penguins some headaches in those back-to-back games in the home-and-home series. So uh, I guess it's good that they found a way to get the win against Nashville out of the way so that they can go into the Islanders' games with a little more, uh, I guess, um, positivity than they would have had had they lost. And we should mention... Penguins kryptonite number two, Boston, awaits after that with two games. So after you're done 
maybe uh, struggling against the Isles. You've got to go into Boston and then play them at home on April 21st. So these next four could be really ugly in terms of the Penguins-Caps battle in the Metropolitan Division. Do you look at the Penguins as I do right now, which is of the eight teams likely to make the postseason of the East, the longest odds of the bunch? I know on the odds boards, that's not the case. They're 20 to 1. The Caps are 30 to 1. But um, I think despite the Capitals' goaltending issues, Mets, they're playing better hockey right now. And I think they have a more elaborate depth of scoring options than what the Penguins do. Yeah, uh, it certainly appears that way now that when you look up and down their lineup, they seem to be a little bit deeper at this point. Um, I was kind of intrigued by the fact that the all-world defenseman for the Caps, John Carlson, if you go back to January 28th, he's essentially a point-per-game player over that span. Uh, Among the leading scorers on that team, it's he and Evgeny Kuznetsov who are leading the Caps in scoring over that stretch in which they've kind of turned their season around a little bit. They've been really good in their last, as I said, like 16, 17 games here. And that's just due to uh, all the scoring that they do have at their disposal. They don't rely on Alex Ovechkin every night. They have guys that can chip in. They went out and got Marcus Johansson at the trade deadline, who had his best years as a Washington Capitol before moving on. So uh, to your point about the Penguins, I, I don't know that they're the complete long odds, but I think when you look at what's around them, Tim, it, especially based on what we've seen from the Penguins over this span in which they've won just uh, a couple of games recently going into the Nashville game. They had lost five of six in regulation, which is something they hadn't done all season long. They hadn't lost four in regulation all season long. And the fact that those losses were coming against teams like the Rangers have people kind of worried now because it's still shaping up at least at the moment to be a first-round matchup against those Rangers. So the Penguins certainly have the firepower with on the top end of things to make a little bit of a run here, and I never like to count them out. But they they don't look like their speed is such that it can compete anymore uh, with the likes of the Rangers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, and maybe even the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the, uh, the, the Lightning, Boston, and Washington, the other teams that are currently in the picture in terms of playoff spots have all given the Penguins headaches in the past. So it's it's going to be a tough run for the Pens. But, you, you know, we've, we've learned never to count them out. But I also will not be surprised if they go home in the first round again based on what we've seen here, unless Mike Sullivan finds some magic elixir in terms of an adjustment to find ways to take away that neutral zone passing that is killing the Penguins. It was on display again against Nashville where they're springing forwards, getting them in behind the Penguins' D, catching them flat-footed and creating those odd man breaks and or breakaways. And that's a recipe for disaster in a playoff series. What what might that be? What might that magic elixir be? Well, the thing is the team is just not built to not play the style that they play. So you, you almost have to continue to lean into what they're doing. But my only suggestion might be to clog that, not even to trap or anything, but to, unless you know you have a sure play going into the attacking zone, maybe dump it a little bit more often and go in with your four checkers to try and and break something up that way. Because when they try and stick handle in or they try and zigzag pass in at the blue line, they're getting their pockets picked there on occasion. And then that passing play comes right out before the forwards can even turn and go back. They quickly throw a pass up the wall. And this is even sometimes on the breakout that we've seen this happen, Tim. So maybe the dump in isn't even the best play, but we've seen the other team break out of the zone, have a player, 
immediately identify a streaking forward uh, going towards the far end of the far blue line. They hit him with a pass, and the Penguins' defense hasn't been able to be there. So I don't know exactly the best way other than playing a better gap on all those forwards and maybe switch to more of a, a man D instead of a zone D uh, in terms of your the way you're approaching it to cut that off so that your player doesn't get caught flat-footed and get the player to wheel around him and go in because that's what happened to Pedersen yesterday. We've even seen that happen to Mike Matheson, who's one of the fastest skaters in the league and specifically on this on this roster. He's getting turned around on on occasion with these types of plays against teams like the Rangers. So I think maybe man-to-man D might serve them a little bit better so that you have a forward at a defenseman rather than having the defenseman try and angle to cut him off because he, he doesn't have the speed to do that. All right, Matt, here's my uh, parlay for the night. I want to get your thoughts on it, okay? Um, All right. I've got Washington. This is for Tuesday night's action. Washington at minus 245 against the Flyers at home. Toronto at home, minus 420 against the Sabres. Calgary at minus 385 at home against the Kraken. And Florida at home against the Ducks, minus 400. It plays out at plus 175. What do you think? I like it all. My only concern is, and I want to quickly look this one up, Tim. I want to see how Calgary has fared against the crack in this season. Uh, they, if I look at their game log here. It must be bad because <laughs> they're yeah, only the 385. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. They, they must have lost a couple, and I just don't remember it. So let's see here. They beat them 6-4. to four. They beat them 2-1. to one. They beat them four to one. So they're looking for a season sweep here. And I would like to think they're going to close that out for you. For some reason, that was the only one that scared me a little bit, even though Calgary is, um, you know, they they're maybe looking a little human in their last 10 going six, three and one. But overall, I like it. You got to go with those uh, the favorites sometimes to win some money. And uh, I know I have some buddies that bet an awful lot of hockey and they always do that. They build these parlays with all the favorites and they usually win more than they lose. And I think you picked some pretty good games for yourself there, Tim. I, I don't have a problem with really any of those selections. Awesome, Mets. I'll cut you in if I win, all right? Please do. And uh, we'll see if maybe by the time that game is over with Toronto, maybe Austin Matthews is is staring down the barrel of 60 because he is right there. And boy, how exciting is that for the National Hockey League that this kid is scoring at the rate he is? Yeah, but the fifteen fifty thing is totally manufactured. I don't know. I didn't like that. That that does not count in my view. Fifty and fifty counts in my mind, and I'm sure you're of the thinking that I have. Do it from the start of the season through the fiftieth game. That's when it counts. You can't just find it's a baseball you know, I could stat. Back, otherwise, yeah, I could go back and look at any segment of games and say, "Hey, Tim Benz has scored more in his you know past ten games than any other player in history." Well, that doesn't, that's really not a record that's tracked. So I didn't like that one either. But generally, his season as a whole has been very impressive. And I like the fact that he is a U.S. born kid coming out of Arizona and it's taking the spotlight off of Connor McDavid and putting it squarely on a U.S. born kid. That's pretty cool because we haven't had that over in recent years. All right. So my thanks to Brian Metzer of the Pens Radio Network. More from Mets next week. Before we go there, like I said, it is opening day. And I always like to, whether it's opening day overall or opening day at PNC Park here in Pittsburgh, for as bitter and crusty as I may come off when I talk about baseball and what it no longer is, I always look back to one scene from one specific baseball-related movie or show 
to remind me of what baseball used to mean to me, and that is from Brock Meyer with Hank Azaria, the scene with Matt the Bat, played by J.K. Simmons, right before Matt the Bat dies of cancer. He's in hospice care, and he and Azaria are having a heart-to-heart conversation, and really does resonate with just about every baseball fan, I would think, about what baseball means to them, up to and including the higher power of the baseball gods. Here it is, the Matt the Bat and Hank Azaria scene from Brockmire to close out the Pittsburgh CityCast on Pirates opening day at PNC. You always got to remember how lucky you are, right? Because of all the possible lives, you got to be a baseball man. That's got to be in the top point zero 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 one percent of things that anybody gets to do. You were paid to travel around the world. You showed up only when the weather was nice. You got three months off a year. And most of all, you got to play this beautiful children's game your whole entire life. Man, I'd rather have had your life than the goddamn Queen England's. I was always at my best. On a baseball field. Oh, man. They're like sacred places. Lit up, they're just like temples. And in the darkness, they're like cemeteries. <laughs> ah, look at that. I guess I do believe in something bigger than myself. Baseball. Yeah. That's a God I could believe in. The baseball God. Yes. Yeah, kind of God that demands that all his churches be parks. <laughs> God that forces you to play outside on a nice day. Yeah, it doesn't keep time because our actions should determine our fate, not some stupid clock. <laughs> you know, a God who keeps us humble by making us play a game that's steeped in failure. Mm. That's the kind of God that I worship. <laughs> 